Welcome to the Kata Brothers Travel Club, a travel podcast where we explore some of the best destinations through interesting stories from locals and people that have had meaningful experiences around the world. We started this podcast to connect with friends, both old and new, to learn important lessons through traveling. We hope you get as much out of these adventures as we do. Before we get started, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify, so you're always notified when new episodes drop, and so you're officially a member of the Travel Club. Now, grab your passport, because we got a flight to catch. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Kata Brothers Travel Club. We're your hosts, Jared and Brendan Kata. All of our episodes are special, but this one is very special because we are welcoming back our wonderful grandmother, Letty Kata. But another cool aspect of this episode is that we're also going to be telling our story about the destination that we talk about today. Brendan, do you want to introduce for the audience where we're going on this episode of the Kata Brothers Travel Club? On this episode, we're going to be talking about taking a trip to Peru, both then and now. Yeah, that's right. And and our grandmother went to Peru in the mid-80s, and she'll talk about her experience there. It sounded like an amazing trip. And the reason that we wanted to ask her about her experience in Peru is because just last year, our whole family took an incredible adventure to the South American country. And we saw Machu Picchu, as well as many other sites that are important for the history of that nation. That was one of the best trips that I've ever been on. I don't know about you, Brendan. Oh, absolutely. And it was definitely our most adventurous family vacation where it was the six of us. We always wanted to push our parents to do an adventurous trip like this. We were, we seemed to be kind of stuck in the sort of that nice, neat package that is a, a cruise to anywhere where... You get on the ship, you get off the ship, you have all your food already planned out, you have your accommodation throughout the trip, and it's great for a a lot of reasons, but there was always something missing. When the four Cotta brothers were younger, I think it worked out great because you can go and explore incredible destinations, but you always have a nice place to sleep and plenty of food to eat back on the ship. I think that food is a, is a critical thing for a big family, to have access to lots of food. Just so the audience knows, uh, we are two of four brothers. Yes, yeah. Uh, so it's a family of six. So, um, you know, four boys and our dad, uh, we, we can eat a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The cruises were always fun for, for that reason. Um, but also it was just easier to kind of plan and keep track of everybody. Definitely. But I, I feel like we all hit the revelation at the same time that we had moved past that part, that stage in our family vacations. And it wasn't the cruises. It's not like we went on a bad cruise and thought, we're never doing this again. We just went and felt like collectively we weren't experiencing the places we were visiting in the ways that we wanted to. You know, this show and the the topics that we cover in this show are a perfect example of why Cruising is great in some instances, but it doesn't capture the whole spirit of a, of a destination. In our podcast, we always talk about food and nightlife, culture, and some outdoor excursion. And, and you get a lot of excursions when you go on cruises, but you just very rarely get to immerse yourself in the, the nightlife and the food and really even the culture. I mean, you only have time to really pick one or two things to see at any one stop. And we talk a lot about the importance of 
taking a day to relax and immerse yourself in a culture when you're in a new country or yeah. a new city. It was really cool to hear what Grandma had to say about her experience there and to compare it to what we had done. Yes, yeah. Our, our family trip to Peru set a pretty high bar for how adventurous and active it was for all six of us. Um, we had never done anything like this before, so sharing our new experience with what was a new experience for her at the time was, was pretty interesting. And like our last episode with Grandma, she has an incredible memory. <laughs> she just recalls so many minute details. Uh, we're going to try our best to tell our story as well as she tells hers. Thank you for coming back and joining us for another episode of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. You were such a hit with your first story and your travel experience and your knowledge of traveling that we had to bring you back as promised. Welcome back. Thank you. And I didn't even pay you to say that. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank I you. did enjoy it. I think that you were supposed to go down to San Diego this weekend and hang out with some of the family. And when we heard that, because of course, we're still dealing with the COVID-19 virus that the plans had to change. Uh, Brendan and I decided that it would be fitting to bring you back on the show, not only because you were not able to go to San Diego, but because this is probably going to be Brendan's last in-person interview in Miami, because he's moving soon. For a while. Yeah. For a while. Oh, that's notable. I'm glad to be a part of that. I'm happy <laughs> that you thought of it. Your first episode was about Russia and China, and Brendan and I haven't been there yet, uh, so, so we, we're... <laughs> obviously really intrigued and we want to hopefully get there someday. But the inspiration for this episode was to go somewhere where we had both gone and see how maybe Ooh. things had changed over the years. So mm -hmm. we picked Peru for this destination and for this episode uh, because we've both been there, but a few years apart. When were you in, like, uh, in Peru? That would have been in 1985, I believe. That's so, that's so amazing. And we just went last year in 2019 uh, and it was really an amazing family trip. It was one of the best experiences I think we've both ever had. And um, yeah, we, we thought of you because we had always seen pictures of you all in Peru. Well, we were invited by the Peruvian Department of Tourism and Air Peru had selected, and I still don't know why, certain travel agencies to go and to stimulate travel to Peru, obviously. And so we were their guests and we had this, they, they advise us of the history. Anyway, it was just one of the best and most fascinating experiences I think I've ever had. And that, that was actually going to be my, my first question was the, the inspiration for a trip to Peru. And I was wondering if it was maybe somebody in town that had the interest, but it was, you were, you were actually approached with the opportunity. Yes. Yes, we were. We, it wasn't anything we ever aspired to do or thought about. But that was the wonderful part of travel at that time because people in other countries were wanting to have travelers from the United States. We were invited to go to places on what were called fam trips, familiarization tours, mm -hmm. some of which we would pay a portion and some we were totally gifted. And, uh, and then you got to see all those things that you could take back to your clientele and then you know, have some excitement to see that part of the world. That sounds really amazing. And was this trip, this specific trip was just to Peru? Yes, that was the, the sole purpose. We uh, flew out of Los Angeles into Florida to Miami 
and then we're flown out of Miami to Lima. We spent, I think, a day and a night in Lima toward that city. And at the time there was a drought, so none of the fountains were working. Some of the beautiful architecture was not there because of the weather. And then we flew out of Lima over the Nazca Plains and you saw all those pictures. It's amazing. No one yeah. knows who put them there, how long they've been there, and they're still there. Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh. And then we flew into Cusco, um, where we went to the hotel and we had tea. Did you have tea in quotes when you went? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the coca tea. The that, first thing they give you when you're checking the hotel. Mm -hmm. yeah. To help you get into the what the height that you're going to be traveling. So yeah, we sipped the coca tea and then we were having dinner that night and they, there were these charming pictures, paintings on the walls of the restaurant. It was at the hotel. And I commented on one that I have actually on my wall here in the living room. And I said, you know, I really, I thought that was very charming and, and I really liked it. And so the person serving us said, well, would you like to meet the artist? And I said, oh yes, definitely we would. And so we went over and he was notable. In fact, I found in, in preparation for talking to you, he was commissioned to do calendars, which sounds pretty you know, ordinary, but it wasn't. A beer company uh, commissioned him to do paintings of all for the 12 months of the year. And so I have that calendar still. And we went to his studio when we bought pictures and visited with him. And then I got the calendar. Because the temptation to buy local art and crafts is really strong. But then you have to get it home and then you have to do something when we get it home. So we started buying like street art. And that's what we did. We bought, I do have those paintings too. Up, and they're just scenes of the llamas and the people and the mountains. And then you just flatten those out in the bottom of your suitcase and you bring them home and you have, uh, you know, really beautiful images. So we have those paintings that we've kept too over time. And then the next day we boarded the train and the train goes from Cusco up to Machu Picchu and then you get off the train and onto the bus and you go up. And the stories then that unfold about the people and the structure and the complexity of it. And, and you think of that era, how did all of those massive stones, how did everything get up there? How did they know how to construct all these buildings and paths? And, and we just, we walked all over, we wandered, we took pictures and they were there to, to answer questions and just the mystery of it. And I was looking again at, purchased a book about how Machu Picchu was found and Bingham's name came up and he was one who was a major, he was American and he was a major promoter afterwards because he wanted, what was it? He wanted to find a path that Bolivar had traveled or something. Mm -hmm. So he had purpose in his trip and he just happened on Machu Picchu. So, and the people are charming. We went to, um, Saxawaman, I think it's called. It's, a, it's a, a huge stone wall and enormous stones, big, big stones stacked. No, no, nothing connecting them together. It's just all stacked in odd shapes. I have photographs of that too. And, um, and they, someone got those big old stones stacked and built this great long wall and no one knows how or how it stands up or how it's never fallen down. 
we went to the markets. Uh, we went to a place and there was just this big field of dirt. There was nothing there. And people started coming and they would dig holes in the dirt and put their poles in. And then they would put lines across and they would hang their weavings, their blankets, their clothing. And then they'd set up the booths with food. So they would have a stash of chicken feet, a nice mm -hmm. little glass. And then the different things they would prepare, you would point to what you wanted. And, uh, and the women, in many cultures, the women are the workers. The, yeah. you know, they really did the labor. And so those in the traditional, they wore these wide, wide skirts. Did they have those on still when you were there? Yes, it's like we layers there. and layers of skirts. Yes, and, and the hats. Top, and the hats, all had the hats on. And, uh, and doing all the digging in the dirt, getting the poles up, selling the blankets, <laughs> cooking the food. You know, when you, when you look at how people live in the environment they're born to and how well they do and how much they've done, discrimination is really stupid. You know, it's just stupid because people will do so well where they're born just to survive. They're smart. They're happy. When I was looking at some of the pictures that our dad had sent on, I noticed that you had gone to a lot of the same places that we had, especially in Cusco. So can you tell us a little bit more about your, your day exploring Cusco? Oh, gosh. I was trying to remember. We were taken to, you know, historic buildings. Uh, there was always shopping. Um, it wasn't intensive because we weren't there that long. I'm not sure I'm correct on this totally, but Cusco and Machu Picchu are contemporaries. So Cusco has an ancient history too attached to it. So there was a lot of that history that we were shown. And the amazing thing, as I said before, is that it's, it's standing still and being used. People are living in those buildings. Um, yeah that it was a it was a calm city there was you know wasn't industrial and the beauty of it and just the charm of the people were always preeminent in my mind that's what i really love is to just see the people in their lives and how they live and what they shop for yeah i know i noticed that that's something that you you pick up on what were they shopping for in uh, in in cusco just household things, you know, they were doing just like anybody else would be. I don't remember going into a clothing store as such. I was trying to remember one time we had an experience where we, and it could have been in Cusco, we went into a shop and the owner, we were just looking around, went and closed the door and closed the shutters on the window, on the windows that they had, because they were just open windows. And then, and and he said something like, I'm inviting you to stay in shop. And we said, oh, well, thank you. And then this parade went by. They were demonstrating and they had bullhorns and they were shouting. And it could have been in Cusco because they passed the building and went down to a park where they had the, the uh, they were assembling to make their protest of whatever it was. I don't know. And as then when they passed by, then he opened the windows again and we continued to shop. And then we, walked out but I do think that was in Cusco because I can't remember any place else where that incident would have been 
Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And, and I have to look a little bit closer at your pictures. But one of the things that I notice is there's always been some sort of animosity between the indigenous peoples and the, the Spanish people that had uh, obviously conquered the country. And so I don't know if I when I saw in some of your pictures, there were more statues to the, the Spanish conquistadors. Whereas when we were there last year, uh, we saw some of the statues depicting the Incas. Very good. Yeah, because you're absolutely right. That was the case. And they, they're very big and grand. And, you know, I was looking through the book, one of the books I brought back, and in it, they were talking about when uh, they had estates in Cusco and in Machu Picchu, there were estates, so people owned vast land. And they were talking about how they were managing it. And they said, this person was there, this person and the native people. And it was like, that was their land. And now they're serving the people who now have Cusco and Machu Picchu. So they just are, in many instances, they're always set aside and then they become the servants yes. and the servers. And, so, and that was the case there too. And I wonder if that's what some of those demonstrations were, because it seems like when, when we went, there was certainly more of a emphasis put on the, the native culture, which was really beautiful. Which is probably, I think that's probably the case. And that very likely was the beginning of trying to get back up to status. What were the accommodations like when you were in Peru in the 1980s? Well, this, I watched this show and this kind of a corny line, but someone was saying they were trying to compare something. Well, if it was like a cracker, it wouldn't be a Ritz, it would be a saltine. <laughs> it's like it wasn't posh it wasn't uh you know americanized let's say but tasteful clean comfortable the climate was really i don't remember being uncomfortable at all there was one incident that did affect us our suitcases didn't make it to cusco and so we had to buy clothes and one of the pictures you saw on the wall that when you would come to my home those were the clothes we bought to go up to Machu Picchu. And then when we got back to the hotel after that day, there was another gentleman whose suitcase had not made it. And so he and grandpa went to the airport and the man was closing down the airport. And so the man spoke Spanish and he said, we need our suitcases in Spanish. And the man was gonna deny it. So he always carried a flashlight when he traveled, which was a lesson to me. And so he stepped behind the counter, opened the door, took his flashlight, went in the back. Is this yours? Is this yours? This is mine. This is yours. And so that found our suitcases, thanks the, the guard who had been overrun by ugly Americans. And we left with our suitcases. So we had decent clothes, but it did. I learned two lessons out of that. Always carry a flashlight. And when you travel with someone, put some of your clothes in their suitcase because the chances of both of your suitcases being lost are, you know, not so great, but you always have at least clean underwear. You've got, to, <laughs> got that to do. So I usually stuff one change of clothes in my carry on my like backpack or something just to have at the bottom of my, of my backpack, because I think that you've told me that before. Right. Yeah. We did have the essentials in our backpack, but yeah, for, as far as having full fledged outfits, they were at the airport. Anyway, that, but those are travel lessons that I learned. When you were there, did you try the guinea pig, particularly in the Peruvian highlands where I know it's more common to, to eat that? 
I may have, but if I did, I didn't know it. <laughs> That's fair. Were there any meals that, that stood out to you? Because for us, having lived in Miami now, there's a lot of Peruvian influence and, and that cuisine is really our favorite. So there were many th reasons that we were excited to go to Peru, but to have the cuisine there was one of them. So was there anything that stood out? Not particularly, as they say, because it was all very good. It was well prepared, well served, and the settings. I, I always, I think I could eat dirt if the, you know, it was a nice enough dining room. Uh -huh. But oh, there was one thing when we were on the train, at the train stops, people would get on, and they had like a, a little mason jar of white liquid liquor. I think it's called okay. pisco. Pisco. Yes, pisco. we we were going to ask you about I that too. <laughs> you remember the Pisco? I remember Pisco. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have it as a Pisco sour or did you drink it right out of the mason jar? <laughs> Actually, we didn't buy any. We just had it when we were at the hotel. So I think I remember uh, very fondly having every time you check into a hotel, they would give you a Pisco sour. That was something that was uh, always special about checking in. The greeting. That's a good one. We talked earlier about getting the coca tea right when you check into the hotel. And just so our audience knows, that's to help combat altitude sickness right when you get into the Peruvian highlands. Was there anyone on your trip that had a rough time with that in particular? Or was it just everybody was fine with the, the change in altitude? They seemed to accommodate it well. It wasn't a large group. But I did have a client after we went uh, and we told her about it. She wanted to go. And this lady was nudging 90 and they were almost going to deny her the trip because of the altitude and the stress it might make and she took it and she took the tea and she outwalked the whole group we didn't take a group but the group she was in she outwalked everyone so it was no problem but you know it can be in fact your aunt and i were speaking about the mountains that are above our hometown and they rise to six thousand feet at the highest and as you age, perhaps, or depending upon your physical condition, you really can get stressed. But no, we were comfortable. And I think the tea, and we didn't stay up. They asked us to, to turn in because so, you had to get up early to catch the train. So it was very yeah. comfortable. One part of your experience in Peru we're particularly curious about. Obviously, the entire country is gorgeous. But that first time that you see Machu Picchu, is such an incredible feeling for it was for us so uh we wanted to know how was that when um you first got there with your group it was exactly the same when you walk up and you look and and it's all running through your mind how did this happen and why be so remote so high up unavailable and yet developing a culture and you know it was a city they had a government or, of some sort and they functioned and then they all left. You know, there was nobody there. Why did that happen? And so the little tidbits that we'd been fed along information and then just walking through the structures and seeing and trying to imagine what was going on here. Was this a, a room in a house? Uh, you know, what was, what was the purpose of this? And you don't talk. You just look. It's just like, ugh, jaw drop. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that was mine. Especially yeah. when you go to the areas where you see beyond it and you see the entire Andes mountain range. Oh my gosh. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable time. 
but it's not scary. You know, when you're up that high, you might feel like, oh, but no, it's just like wonderful. When we went, we, we did the hike on the Inca Trail for, for some time, not the whole overnight trip, but we came in through the Sun Gate, which is sort of the entryway. And that's right. sort of, that was our first uh, look at, at Machu Picchu. And it was absolutely, like you said, jaw dropping. And uh, what we've come to understand, we had a, a wonderful tour guide is that 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 region was was sort of predominantly a a, a temple and a, and a holy place for them and so that's why people kind of nomadically came and went from the from the location and there was there were many buildings and houses but the empire of the incas stretched you know over those the andes mountains it was a that's just a such an amazing location did you find when you walked the trail uh, stations along the way for meditation or for were those still there? I think that uh, if we had done the whole trail, I believe that there were, were still locations like that. Um, we got off of the train at a certain point. And so our hike was only, I think it was like a, it was almost a five hour, five and a half hour hike. So it wasn't the whole many over three nights. Oh, yeah. Um, but we came across beautiful views and vistas. And we did encounter, before you get to Machu Picchu, there is a, another gathering of ruins that goes up mm-hmm. these long steps. And uh, there's a, a number of, of levels where they did some of the agriculture. And, and that was a really interesting location too. And can you imagine the difficulty in growing things up there? I, that is what's so incredible about the, the culture of the Incas. And they prided themselves on being able to, to grow at altitudes, be able to grow things that grew at lower altitudes at the locations where they lived. Mm-hmm. That was something that they discussed, I think, in our first day there was they showed you the, the tiered agriculture system mm-hmm. and said you, you get crops used to the environment at this altitude then move them up a little bit and up a little bit and up a little bit. And they change and adapt over time to where you can grow them at these unbelievable heights thanks to that tiered system. And who would have thought of that? That's the, the marvel if the people had to be really intelligent and I don't know, I just think it's amazing. That, uh, that ingenuity on, on our tour, and it sounds like on your tour as well, is a huge source of like national pride for Peruvians. I think they love that it's still so hard to figure out how their ancestors were able to build these incredible structures in the mountains. I don't know how to pose the question exactly, but do the Peruvian, the modern Peruvian population think of the Incas as their ancestors? Is it all, I mean, the Spanish came in and obviously that changed everything. But prior to that. Well, there were a lot of different uh, cultures at play in the, in the region. So I think that people trace their lineage back to different tribes and, and organizations and, that makes and sense. peoples. But uh, what we, we noticed that there was a pretty stark difference between the, the people in the highlands versus the people on the coast in, in places yes. like Yes. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your time in uh, Lima like? I know you're only there for a little bit and, and we, we had the same experience. We only got to stay in Lima for a short time, but I think it's a really amazing city. It is beautiful. Uh, you know, it's more mo- metropolitan. Although I do know, like when we were in Machu Picchu, we did not, it was not offered for us to spend the night because the facilities were not there. Mm. You know, they had uh, batteries for power at night and then all the lights went out at one time. You know, we're going to bed now pull the plug when you're in lima then you're more into the big city kind of thing but it too 
is old. You know, it has its its buildings and things, but um, very cosmopolitan. Is um, I guess the Spanish influence is there though that we saw a little bit, quite a bit more so than than in Cusco, I would say. Yeah. But but it, it has become such a huge cultural hub across all of South America. It's it's a place that I, I have to go back because it has some of the best restaurants and cuisine <laughs> in, in all of the all the world. Really, it's it's a hub for food, and it, I really want to go. All right, this might be a hard question, but you've already spoken very well of your time at the Iguazu Falls in Argentina and Brazil. But if you could, what would you say was your your favorite country to visit in South America? Well, as an as a unique experience of the countries we have visited, traveling up the Amazon is something that uh, I will always remember because you enter and the places you pass can only be reached by boat because there's no trails. And we saw this massive vegetation of orchids and greenery and, and tucked in along the banks would be a little two or three houses up on stilts because if the water would raise. And we would pull over, we were on a ship of, I mean, a, a sizable ship. It wasn't just like an open boat. It was our ship. And we stopped and then we got off the boat and we went to a beach and we, we were in the water. Grandpa swam in the Amazon. And of course they have the piranhas. And then we did, uh, we went with a man in an open canoe and he had a sloth. That was his pet. We went up the trip, one of the tributaries and uh-huh. uh, and got further in and then you see you know animals just right there on the bank sorry and, for, i was just going to say for the, for the audience uh, this is taking place in brazil yeah this was yeah i'm sorry because we flew into rio de janeiro and we spent time there and did the iguazu falls then we boarded the ship and it seemed like everybody on the ship was related oh, and yeah. they were courteous and and everybody's key like if you were on the second floor you had room 102 103 104 if you went up to the second floor it was the same key but it was 202 203 204 so it was it was a whole different it was a very elegant very nice ship but it was but once you went in we went in after we settled in we went into the lounge and we were greeted by name and because his cousin was our cabin steward they knew us and so it was always Mr. Cotta and and we were always called by name and he if you didn't feel well the cousin would tell the cousin who was the waiter you know he's not feeling well just give him soup and it was it was a great cruise and we got to see quite a bit and that's when we went up the Amazon that's marvelous that was a good that was a good one South America is, is probably one of my, my favorite regions of the world. And, and one of the reasons that I decided to stay a little bit longer in Miami after I moved out here uh, almost six years ago. So, um, it's so it's so great to compare stories and experiences with you. And even though they're some 20, almost, well, I guess longer than that, almost 30 years apart. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it, it sounds like it's such a, an incredible experience that we both had. And it's fun to look at the pictures now and see what, what has and has not changed. Well, I always say for me, the, the magic of it all is that when I was a little girl, my vacations were to go see my grandmother in San Bernardino. <laughs> that was it. That was it. And then you got <laughs> so, a Machu Picchu, swimming in the then, Amazon. 
then I, I marry your grandfather. That's the best move I ever made. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's so wonderful to talk to you, and, and we're glad that we got to, to connect, even though you didn't get to go down to San Diego. It's still fun to, to see you, and we hope we made up for some of the missing of that trip. But uh, we just want to thank you again for taking time to speak with us. Well, in all sincerity, and I get tearful, I am so proud and love you, boys, all your brothers, so much that this is just inflates my ego tremendously. So <laughs> thank so you for being for you. <laughs> well, yeah, like Brendan said, it's a lot of fun for us, too. Uh, we, we just love to hear these stories. And um, okay. But anyways, we'll, we'll have to have you back on. We know. Did you ever get a count of the number of countries? You know, that's your homework. Who you, uh, I'll, I'll take care of that right away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On the next time, next time you're on the show, we want to know how many countries you've been to. All right. I will do my best. All right. We love you, Grandma. <laughs> love you, Grandma. Love you, too. Talking with Grandma is always a ton of fun. Now it's time for Brendan and I to recall our trip to Peru in 2019, more than 30 years after her visit. Brendan, what do you remember about the day we landed in Peru? When we landed in Peru, we got in pretty late to the main airport in Lima, and the plan was to wake up very early the next day to fly over the mountains into Cusco. Yeah. So all we had to do was take our bags across the street into a, a very nice airport, airport hotel, somewhere we would just sleep. But... What was really nice about that night was that it was really the first time that the six of us had been together since, I think, the holidays. Mm -hmm. So instead of taking the time to get as much sleep as we possibly could, I remember a lot of just sitting for a couple hours in like the, the hotel lobby or the, the hotel bar, yeah. drinking Pisco Sours and just kind of catching up as a family. Yeah, we, we got that first complimentary Pisco Sour, which is... <laughs> A notable thing uh, at every Peruvian hotel. It's either that or the the coca tea. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, we, we just kind of hung out for a while, uh, catching up. And uh, even though we knew that we were going to be on a flight really early out to Cusco, it was just it was great to see each other. That's that's something that that I hold really dearly whenever we're able to go on on these trips again. Yeah. Is we keep coming back to it, just that downtime. Just yeah, that, that, absolutely. That point where you can kind of reflect and catch up and speak with each other in a new destination. There's something different about being in a new place altogether. Yes, exactly. It makes it not just about seeing a new place, but also being with the people that you're with. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty important. After we got to Cusco, we met up with our guide and he took us uh, ATVing through the Peruvian highlands. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That was, I think that was the first time that I really felt like I was in Peru. Okay. Because obviously the visuals are very different, but when you're on this ATV in this vast plain surrounded by mountains, you could tell you're in a pretty different place than Miami. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What did you think about the ATVs? Well, at first, I think I was a little bit nervous. Not for me. I know I can drive an ATV. But I just had this feeling that, that you, Marshall, and Landis had never been on an ATV before. <laughs> I have, but one time I drove Landis off of a like, road in Mexico. Oh, that's right. We were all in Mexico together, and that was a cruise excursion. And uh, yeah, you crashed your ATV. You crashed it this time, too. 
Did I? Yeah, didn't you lock your ATV underneath Marshall's? Or was that Marshall locking his underneath yours? Somebody ran, I think it might have been Marshall. He rammed into like Dad or Landis. And so his thing, <laughs> his like, the front of his ATV caught under theirs. Oh, yeah, okay, no, I do remember that. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. I did get stalled, but I didn't bump into anybody. There was so much space. Everybody survived. Everybody did great. But that was like a, that first day, and it was so fun. And then after ATVing, we went to our, our hotel. Oh, yeah. You yeah, remember you... that first hotel? It was the, it's the Belmont Rio, Rio de Sagrado. Do you want to talk about the hotel? I know that had a pretty big impact on you. I would just say that it was really funny to hear grandma describe the accommodations as so modest because our hotels in Peru for this trip, much to the credit of our mom, were the most incredible accommodations I had ever experienced. Like the the Belmont Rio Sagrado, where we stayed for the majority of our time in the in the Sacred Valley outside of uh, when we were at Machu Picchu. That was the most incredible place. Right on the river, so beautiful. We had this, the, uh, the very large, uh, like, kind of bungalow. Yeah for, yeah. The, for the larger family. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just remember, like, hanging out in our robes, and the people <laughs> would come and light the fire every night for us. And, like, that is just, like, the major benefit of traveling with your parents. <laughs> <If> you... <laughs> That's the best part. If you need to picture it, picture somewhere that you would imagine a celebrity would go to feel away from everything, like a resort to be completely isolated. Yeah. When you're in your own house, and there's beautiful short walks to the jacuzzi, the, the restaurant, the river, everything. Yeah. Llamas and alpaca living on the grounds. <laughs> that was dope. That was so sick. And I just like, one of my favorite things is, you know, we, we would pick up beers when we were coming back from our adventures. <laughs> Cusqueños. Yeah, we would have our Cusqueños. We'd be like down by the river, like in our in our hiking gear as the sun was setting near the, in the mountains. And it's in this valley, so it gets real shady and cool in the evening. And, uh, and like having those beers, I, I got to post the pictures up on, on the website and everything and just do like an homage to all of the like um, incredible photos that we took in, in Peru. Cause it's like, you can't get a bad shot in some of these destinations. <laughs> and that is hands down the best part of active trips like this is when you hike all day, do all of your sightseeing and then have a beer, like still dirty from traveling, but you can finally relax. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was great. I mean, we saw some pretty incredible things, and obviously we did an amazing amount of hiking. And yeah. I think that that's one area where Grandma and Grandpa, they kind of got bussed around, and, and they were a little bit older anyways. I don't think they were that much older than Mom and Dad are now. But No, but I think it was just that was the, since they were brought by the Peruvian government, I think that was the experience that Peru wanted to expose them to. Yeah, we were much more interested in being able to be like boots on the ground, like walking every day. Uh, we, we saw some really incredible historic sites like the uh the, the tiered agriculture they were acclimating oh, yeah. the plants to live at different altitudes so that they could eventually get them up to the heights of like where machu picchu is yeah yeah, yeah. that was really incredible one of the other areas that i found to be really incredible and also where we got awesome pictures was at the, those salt mines oh yeah also tiered like in the side of the mountain like these these Big giant steps cut into the side of the mountain and then little pools dug out so that people could kind of collect the salt that actually ran in the natural springs. So the yeah. natural springs were, were bringing minerals and, and, and salt into these pools. 
And then as it dried and evaporated, it left the salt there. And I still have some of that pink salt in our spice cabinet. And it was really cool because those salt mines are actually owned by a whole community. You can see them working together and then you can support that local business just by being there and, and buying the salt and, you know, appreciating what they, what they've done. Uh, that was a really meaningful experience. And speaking of individuals that, that live and work in and have inhabited Peru for a long time, we also had an opportunity to sit down and do sort of some sacred rituals with indigenous people there. Yeah. It was really interesting to see. They did a lot of, uh, you know, ceremonial dances, welcomed us. We ate a very traditional meal there, which was terrific. We went out into the mountains a little ways beyond the village and performed like a, one of their, uh, their rituals. Well, you, you know, you're forgetting one very important component, which is that we all donned traditional <laughs> indigenous attire. They gave us hats and uh, like shawls. And that's what we wore as we ate, first of all, and then also <laughs> as we hiked into the forest and along this riverside, we were all wearing these like bright red outfits and that's where they, they performed their ritual. And it was, it, it was, as we often come to expect from indigenous people, and it was very appreciative of Mother Nature, very appreciative of the gifts of, uh, of the natural environment. And, and paying homage to whatever gods they, they felt were present in that location. Definitely. Which was really, really special. And our mom and dad got to do sort of a, like, a marriage ritual. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we, we got to hang out and, and pay our, our respects to Pachamama. <laughs> did we also try, uh, where did we try Chicha. We walked through a, a small village and we actually went into that woman's house. Oh, that's right. That, that was our guide knew. And uh, that's also where we saw all of the guinea pigs. Yeah, for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which if, for those of you that don't know, guinea pig is actually sort of a, a, a delicacy. Now, I don't want to call it a delicacy. That seems like exoticizing it. It's, it's really just like a food that the people in the Peruvian highlands yeah. will eat. Yeah, mostly during special events or ceremonies. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like a lot of groups of people, meat is preserved for special instances. Sure. But in this case, the meat is guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> and we tried it too, and it was good. Yeah, it's not bad. And we tried uh, the, the chicha we were talking about is their traditional corn beer mm -hmm. that's made. And what I thought was really cool to learn, just as like a, one of those like cultural tidbits, was that... Um, in like the, the villages in the highlands, they'll stick a red flag on a pole outside of the places where like cheech has just been brewed. Mm -hmm. So you can go and like have that's, a cup there. That's how you know that it's fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice and warm. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, the most important and special part of this trip was experiencing Machu Picchu. Yeah. Which is one of the seven wonders of the world, which is a, an incredible sight to behold, just a beautiful destination. And uh, we were very fortunate. Our, our mom, Ever the Planner, had made sure that we got two days uh, in Machu Picchu yeah. to really, really absorb that, that destination. And, and what was cool is we, we, like Grandma, we started to take the train. But unlike them, we got off about halfway and we hiked the last six hours 
through the sun gate to Machu Picchu. What was it like to see that wonder for the first time? That's probably the clearest image I have from that whole trip because you, the hike is beautiful, but it's intense. Mm -hmm. Like as the hours go on, you're really feeling it. And so you go through this last push, these steep steps up to the, the temple where the sun gate is. And once you walk through, almost unexpectedly, for me at least, Machu Picchu just unfolds in front of you. And it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Because I've seen Machu Picchu before in pictures. I know what it's supposed to look like. But after a long day of working towards it, to just turn around... And on the mountain right next to you, below you, is this wonder was incredible. What was it like for you? How, how did you find Machu Picchu? Well, I, I, would, I would say it was, it was very similar. It's sort of that feeling that you always get when you encounter something that you've heard is awe-inspiring. Yeah. You're like, oh, I heard this is going to be great. And then you see it, and it's everything and more. It, that's the feeling that I get when I see the Grand Canyon or the first time that I saw Crater Lake in Oregon. Yeah. I was like, I think I'm going to be pretty blown away by this. And then I see it and I'm like, I couldn't even have fathomed what it was going to be like to to observe it for the first time. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what it felt like, you know, and, and being able to then go and explore as much as we could. And, and you've talked on an, on our last episode with Grandma about how things get closed off over time. and. Mm-hmm. For the right reasons to preserve the the history, you know, you you really have to cherish the ability to even walk amongst those stones and and touch the things that you can touch. Yeah. Because who knows how much longer people are going to be actually able to interact with those destinations and except at a safe distance. Yeah. We got to walk in the halls of of the of the temple area in uh, amongst the the homes that were lived in by the the Incas. Mm-hmm. It was just such an important and educational and, and beautiful experience and one we cannot recommend enough. Absolutely. And we, you feel this here and we've talked about it also in our, our trips to Israel is that there's just a different feeling when you get to walk among history. Yeah. And I have nothing against like museums are great, historical sites that are protected by bars are, I definitely understand that. But when you can walk through ruins, yeah. it feels different. It's it's important if I could give advice to to listeners and to just in in the world in general is to just pretend like you're way you're living back then. Yeah. Experience it in your imagination the way first of all the way that somebody that that lived during that time and and was a part of that culture back then would have experienced it. But also try and experience it as if you're one of the first people to discover it. Oh, that's a good one. And that's another thing that I think about when I see like the Grand Canyon or another natural wonder where I'm just like, what if you're the first person to come across this thing? <laughs> you know, what, what would you think? What would you think if you were the first per when you were the first person or, or as the first person to discover Machu Picchu? Yeah. Just yeah. all of the hard work that I'm sure that archeologists put into learning about the Incas and, and trying to, to find pieces of that culture only to come across this mountaintop, full of history yeah yeah, really really cool it's hard to wrap your brain around when you think about it that way yeah just trying to like grasp all the little bits of it yeah the day that we spent in machu picchu we also did another hike that came right after our six hour long incan trail hike do you want to do you want to talk about that one 
Yeah, I do, because I, I want to give a, a shout out to our parents, Pam and Jeff Cotta, because they hiked six hours worth of the Inca Trail, like absolute champs. Absolutely killed it. Amazing. I had I was so impressed by them. And many of our audience might not know that our dad just recently ran his first half marathon. Our mom has always prioritized fitness, but for, for him, I could not be more proud. But I knew he was going to accomplish it. Because I had seen him hike the Inca Trail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For six long hours on, uh, you know, a really tough, rugged hike. Yeah, yeah. So to their credit, they did that, but they were not able to do the hike the next day. Yeah. Which they, was just right above Machu Picchu. Which is totally understandable. Like, yeah. They were exhausted. <laughs> and I'm only saying this to sort of set the context was just us, the four brothers mm-hmm. and our guide. And we went up one of the steepest trails in that area. And I know that for anybody that is even a little bit wary of heights, it is a mind-blowingly challenging trail. It's bad. Both physically and mentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you can picture there is steep drops for almost the entire time, sometimes on both sides of you. Yep. And really just, you know, narrow steps to kind of go up. And the same problem that a lot of sites like these have where you have people coming both ways. Mm-hmm. So how do you, do you either, do you cling to the wall or do you risk going towards the edge to let the people pass? But yeah, our guide who was fantastic, I think he downplayed how challenging that hike was going to be so that we weren't uh, worried about doing it after the Inca Trail. And thank goodness mom and dad decided to kind of listen to how they were feeling and said, you know, I'm exhausted from yesterday. We're going to spend our time in this wonder of the world because it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was that hard. <laughs> it was so steep. <laughs> I feel like I could not catch my breath, but it was worth it. It Obviously, was worth the, it. The views the, were worth it. Yeah, the views were incredible once we got to the top. Flying back into Lima, uh, we only had, you know, one more day left, I think. And yeah. one more full day, which I which I've come to appreciate because... As much as I wanted to spend more time in Lima, and we, we got to sightsee a little bit, and we had a great guide there as well. We saw some more of the, the Spanish influence on the region and a, a different side of the Peruvian culture because it's very different from the, the mountain and the coast. Oh, um, yeah. Even, yeah. Even you can understand it from experiencing the food and the cuisine there. Definitely. But what it does is almost like a teaser or like a cliffhanger. Like I have to go back and spend more time in Lima. Absolutely. It is such a cool cultural hub within South America. Some of the best restaurants in the whole world are located there. Beautiful beaches, beautiful destinations, great cultural sites, other museums that we didn't get to see. So I definitely hope to go back to Lima as soon as quarantine's over. You orchestrated one of the highlights, I think, of the trip. When we got to Lima, we had not experienced a ton of Peruvian cuisine. We kind of stuck with the safer options, uh, like restaurant-wise, partially because we we're very tired and like it was difficult to go out and look for restaurants, and partially because things in the highlands are a lot more spread out. It would have taken more time to get to a restaurant. But then our first night in the capital of the country and in one of the food capitals of the world, you found a, an incredible restaurant nearby us, and I think it was especially like mom and dad's first exposure to a really good, authentic Peruvian dinner. Mm-hmm. And it was unbelievable. We like chaufa, 
um, ceviche, all of the classic dishes that you want from uh, coastal Peruvian cuisine. Yeah, and I'll have to look up the name of that restaurant because it was really just kind of, it was close to our hotel. Yeah. It had great recommendations and stars, but it was really kind of just a little hole in the wall down this alley and turned in and it was a big like high ceiling, a lot of like sports memorabilia from Peruvian soccer teams, plastic chairs, you know, all the things that we love when yep. you're in, in South America. Delicious food. Oh my gosh. So good and tons of it. That was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad we got to expose them to that. One thing that I really liked about going out in, in Peru, and, and this was also in Cusco, we, we got to go out, was us as four brothers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Landis, at that time, hadn't turned 21. He recently did. Uh, but obviously, because we're under lockdown, uh, there's no going out to uh, bars without risking the safety of our family. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we haven't, we, that was really our, our first going out experience as four brothers and it, and it was really special it was that was a lot of fun like what did we hit well we drank a lot of pisco sours so it's understandable yeah. that you don't remember so. <laughs> that is something we should warn you about if you're going to peru the altitude will mess you up if you're drinking <laughs> anywhere and we talk about this i just released a blog post about um eight pieces of advice that we've been getting from the the travel club podcast and also scattering in a few pieces of advice from Brendan and I, and one of the really critical ones that Brendan submitted was make sure that you check the altitude and the elevation of the destination that you're going to, because it can do a lot of things to you. Yeah. The, yeah. the least of your worries is how drunk you will get <laughs> on a couple beers and a couple Pisco Sours. Yeah. There is a lot more serious issues that you can encounter uh, so just really be careful. Definitely, yeah, yeah. We've we've heard, we've experienced and heard some horror stories. But you know, if you can get up to those heights, the views are incredible. So They're unbelievable. Not to deter you from traveling to those destinations, and you save some money because you're right. It was two pisco sours and a beer over the course of a couple hours, and I was the drunkest I've ever been in front of our family. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, I know that you're leaving Miami now, but I also know that the, the Latin spirit of the city and the experiences that you've had in Central and South America, because you were able to uh, stay here for a couple of years, has made you wanting to revisit other parts of South America. Where is the next destination that you would have on the top of your list once quarantine is over? The top of my list would either be I would love to go back to Lima because I do think there's a lot of things that we didn't see there. And I think that um, a trip based entirely around that city uh, gives you a lot of options that we didn't have the first time we went. I've heard a lot of incredible things about uh, Bogota and Medellin, Colombia. We did our trip to Cartagena and it's such an incredible country. And I would love to see other parts of it that are also really popular and have become uh, a lot more popular like tourist destinations yeah now i i let's see now i've been to chile argentina brazil colombia peru ecuador so i have a few more places in south america that i have to hit but i think that i'm i'm really drawn back to argentina oh really um, and and i guess between argentina and chile i would love to see patagonia oh yeah that is a a destination that i am just dying to to check out but I loved Argentina so much. Buenos Aires was beautiful. I needed to spend more time there, um, but we were moving on to uh, to Rio. 
it is definitely a place I'd like to go back to. And taking a, a suggestion from Grandma oh, yeah. uh, on our first episode, to go see Iwasu Falls, that would be a absolute dream. Uh, I'm really on this nature kick. And so between Iguazu and Patagonia, that would be a, a beautiful trip for me. That's a great one. And And as someone leaving Miami, it's so nice to have you still here so that I can fly back and hop on one of like the cheap quick flights down to go see South America again because I haven't explored it enough and I'm not ready to give up all of this like sightseeing I still have to see in, in South America. This episode was a little bit different. We, we maybe didn't have the, the in-depth knowledge of one location or usually when we're talking to travelers, we're focusing on their, their many months of travel, consecutive travel. Um, but we hope that this in some way encourages our audience to go to Peru, experience what that nation has to offer, see Machu Picchu 100% before more of it has to be restricted to visitors, and uh, and just really absorb the culture of the Incas, the culture of Peru, and appreciate some of the, the people in, in South America because it, sometimes it doesn't get enough love, but that is a region of the world that is really one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. It's great for South America. It's getting a lot more attention from tourism, mm -hmm. but it's still at that point where if you go, it's going to feel adventurous and it's going to feel a little bit out of your comfort zone and not as touristy as maybe like a more popular European destination. So now is such a perfect time to go and explore one of the most incredible regions on the planet. That's a great way to close, Bren. And I think with that, we want to thank our audience again. Thank you, Grandma Letty, for coming on for your second episode of the Cotter Brothers Travel Club. That You're the first guest that has been a repeat guest. We're just so happy to have you as our grandma, always influencing us to explore beyond our comfort zone like you were just talking about, Bren. Before we sign off, I just want to mention again, you got to go check out the website. A couple new blog posts up already. Uh, it's really starting to take off. I'm having a lot of fun writing those uh, travel essays and, and lists. Go to cottabrotherstravelclub.com. You can find our episodes, our travel essays, our contact information. You know, we can't make these, these shows without our guests. So we really need people to uh, submit to us where they want to uh, explore, where they want to take us. Remember, you're our guides. We really appreciate our audience tuning in for every episode. And uh, we'll have some more content coming up for you really soon. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. This is a good chance to let you all know that we have a website. Go to cottabrotherstravelclub.com to find our city guides, travel essays, and the best way to contact us directly. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Look for Cottabros underscore travel club. We want to keep building this community of explorers. So please hit us up on social media or on our website so you can share your adventures and stories from around the world. Finally, we know these are challenging times. This podcast was our outlet for self-expression, and we appreciate our listeners, friends, and family that are helping us to make it possible. However, if you are ever feeling sad, isolated, or even displaced, please reach out to us. Even the most experienced traveler gets lost sometimes and needs some help to find their way. We hope you'll tune in next time, and most importantly, welcome to the club.